0: I'm going to ask you to one more time, if you would stand with me, please. We have a couple of passages of Scripture that I'd like to read together. Today I'm excited about this message. Um, I have a real challenge in front of me to bring clarity as much as possible about some things that probably need some real light shed on them. And so this morning I'd like for us to read from Romans chapter 12. The title of the message today is called Prophetic Confirmation. We're going to explain that but let's get Romans 12, two together. Read with me. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing, you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. The Bible says in another translation that you may prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Prove is this idea of testing. The series that we're doing is called seven guiding lights. You see, from the plane that's on the front of your message notes. It's the idea of being able to line up the plane in a safe runway. Any, any good pilot is looking to land the plane, the cargo, the people that are on board, in between a set of lights that are there for the purpose to guide the plane in safely. This series is called the Guidance Series. God gives us guiding lights. We began three weeks ago. And we talked about the need for guidance, that every one of us has to make critical decisions. We don't want to make decisions on our own, make our own plans, and then them not be the good and acceptable and perfect will of God, and us spend all of our time begging God to bless because it's not turning out right. If we can learn how to test and make decisions based on the good, acceptable, and perfect will of God, it'll automatically have His favor. It will have His blessing on it, and we don't have to be. Just grieving over, oh, God, would you please bless this business? God, would you bless my home, bless my family, bless this decision that I'm making? Okay. Next week, we talked about scriptural confirmation. Everybody say, your word word is a lamp to my feet feet and a light to my path. That's Psalm 119, 105. The next week, we talked about inner conviction. Everybody say, the spirit spirit bears witness witness with with my spirit. That's Romans 8, 16, capital S, the Holy Spirit bears witness with my little s, the spirit in me, okay? So today we're on number three, it's actually fourth in the series, but we're on prophetic confirmation. I have another passage, it's in Acts chapter 20, verses 16 through 25, so it's about 10 verses, so I want you to get some history here, and I'm not going to apologize because it's a little bit more scripture than we normally read. This is a real study today, not so much preaching a little bit of study. Here we go. For Paul had decided to sail past Ephesus so that he might not have to spend time in Asia, for he was hastening to be at Jerusalem, if possible, on the day of Pentecost. Stop. Where's Paul going? He's going to Jerusalem. Okay. And he's wanting to get there by the Pentecost. Okay. Which is 50 days after the resurrection. All right. Verse 17. Here we go. Now from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus, And called the elders of the church to come to him. And when they came to him, he said to them, You yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews. Verse 20. How I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house. Testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Stop right there. That's the gospel in a nutshell. The gospel is a two-sided coin. It's repentance toward God and faith in Jesus Christ. Everybody say repent and believe. That's the gospel. A lot of times you hear one without the other. Okay? It takes both. You repent and turn to God then you you believe in God you put your faith in Jesus Christ repentance is a it's kind of a theological term that you don't hear at the water cooler at work tomorrow repentance literally is a u-turn you're headed the wrong way you're headed on the road to hell what was it highway to hell that's where we we're all on highway to hell somewhere along the line you turned That's repentance. You turned. You turned away from the highway to hell, and you turned toward God, and you believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. Are you with me this morning? Everybody say one more time. Repent and believe. believe. Verse 22. Here we go. And now behold, I am going where? To Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. But I do not account my life of any value nor as precious to myself if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And now behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. That is a sad situation. He knows that he's headed for Jerusalem and there's going to be problems. He's going to be in prison. Bow your heads with me. Gracious God, I boldly ask you today to move in this place. Proverbs says, the Lord gives us the seeing eye and the hearing ear. The Lord hath made them both. Give us spiritual faculties of perception. Help us to see. Open our eyes. Open the eyes of our hearts, Lord. Give us ears to hear. Holy Spirit, move today and do what nobody can do. No man can do. You are the only teacher. You're the counselor. You're the helper, the guide, parakletos, you walk alongside us to strengthen us. We give you place. Reign in this place. Be Lord in this place. Where the Spirit is Lord, there is liberty. We ask you today, I just acknowledge before you and this people that I can't do anything apart from you, but Lord, with you, I can do all things. Be my voice within my voice. Take a coal off of the altar and drop a hot word of the Lord into each individual heart. Taylor, make it for every person in this place, I pray. In Jesus' name, we'll be careful to give you all the praise and all of God's people said, amen. you be seated this morning in the presence of the Lord. Now, I know from the get-go that I've already read a lot of scripture, but I want to ask you a couple of questions. Paul is headed where? He's headed to Jerusalem, and he wants to get there by... They have Pentecost. It's an important day in the Jewish calendar, Passover, Pentecost, Tabernacles. This is the middle feast celebrating the first fruits. It's 50 days after the death, burial, and the resurrection of Jesus, okay? First Pentecost was in Acts 2. Now, he has experienced some, we might say, resistance among some of the folks because they have sense enough to know, this is... Not only an unction of the Spirit um, in what we're going to be talking about this morning with prophetic confirmation, but to some degree, it's just some common sense. They know that Paul is a marked man. Jews are after him because he was a Hebrew of the Hebrews, of the tribe of Benjamin, born the eighth day. His creed, I'm sorry, not his creed, uh, his uh, credentials, that's the word I meant to use, are given in Philippians chapter 3. And he said, now these days, because of Christ, I count all of that stuff as dung. You can translate the King James. He just says, basically, that's worthless stuff. It's off-scouring. It's the offal. It's the dung. And he says, uh, because I've got something set before me that's greater than any of that. Trained at the feet of Gamaliel, a keeper of the law, Pharisee of the Pharisees. He gives his own testimony. He said, but I found out that there's something more that I've... I've been grabbed a hold of, and I know that now my life is to grab hold of the one who grabbed hold of me. I apprehend the one who apprehended me. He said, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings be made, being made conformable to his death, he says in Philippians 3.10. Now, this morning, I'm just asking God to help me. I, uh, I, I don't think I did a good job in first service. It was just, there's so much here. When we're talking about guiding lights. We're we're looking at a guided guidance system that God brought from the children of Israel, an external system. They had a GPS. They had a tracking system that was a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. It was the first HVAC system in the world. It kept them cool in the day while they traveled across the hot sand of the desert. It warmed them up at night due to heat radiation. What would be 100 degrees in the day in the wilderness of that desert area could literally drop below freezing because of heat radiation and it would leave and they could freeze at night. And so it was a cloud by day that led them and it was a pillar of fire by night. That led them for 40 years. It was their external guidance system. It was a God operating system of GPS. When the cloud would stop, they would erect the tabernacle of Moses, they would... Reinstitute the sacrifices on the brazen altar. And every one of those pieces of furniture in the tabernacle of Moses are a picture of the ministry of Jesus Christ. He became what animals could not actually bring forgiveness of sins. Jesus became the once and for all Lamb of God who took away the sins of the world. He was sacrificed on the brazen altar. We call it now the cross. But every one of those pieces is a picture of Jesus. Now, when... The cloud would start to move. The Levitical priests had trumpets, and they would pick the trumpet up and set it to their mouth. Di-di-di-di. And there was a sound that a trumpet would give. That was a sound to go into war. There was a different signal of the trumpet that would give them a signal to pick up and move the camp. And they were—they had some amazing serve teams. They had their serve shirts and they had their serve teams and specific groups would go and take down certain things and pick up and move. If anyone liked a particular place, maybe it was at Elam with the 70 palms and somebody said, you know, I just, I'm tired of all this moving around and I know that every time the cloud moves, it's basically God moving, but I really like it here and I'm not going any further. And when the cloud picks up and moves on and here goes the camp, the very place that used to be life to you now becomes death because the guidance system and the provision and the sustenance that was over you, that warmed you by night from the fire, that kept you cool by day from the cloud, that caused the manna of God to rain down from heaven, giving them something to eat. The man of God who had the rod of God in his hand, who smote the rock and out of it gushed water, there's a picture of Jesus Christ who was smitten on the cross and out of his side came Blood and water, the provision of God, when the rock who was Christ who was smitten on the cross once and out of him comes water of life freely, now everything that was sustenance to you has just gone on down the road. This place where you are now that you've loved so much, what once was life now becomes death to you. Denominations do that. We go so far in God and we draw up our creed, our belief statement, and we say, this is as far as I'm going and we're not going any farther. That other stuff out there is not for today. I don't believe God does any kind of miracles. Now, let me, I'm giving you examples. I don't believe what I'm saying. These are things that you've been taught in different church structures. We don't think at Victory that we're any better than anybody else. We're just, we're, we are just sojourners. We, we are seeking God. We want, we want all that he has for us. I teach everybody here that no matter what your your spiritual heritage is, be thankful for it because it's what birthed you into the kingdom of God. Whether it's Baptist or Methodist or Presbyterian or Church of Christ or Pentecostal or or whatever. it is Be thankful because that was the tribe that God caused you to be born into to become a part of spiritual Israel. Okay, doesn't necessarily mean that that's what you'll be your whole life. That may be what you got birthed into, but then maybe you were a part of a group. Maybe it's not just the whole denomination itself, but maybe you were part of a local church, and they just basically sat down and said, no, we're not going any further. We like it right here where it is, and and they're stuck in the 1700s, or they're stuck in the 1800s in any particular movement or any group that you want to talk about. And I'm not throwing stones at anybody this morning. I'm just telling you that I believe that God wants us to keep going and following him and have a relationship with him that's alive. Can I have an amen this morning? All right. Now, the thing that we're talking about is this guidance system. The more important decisions that I have to make, I believe you need more lights lit up. There's seven that we're bringing in this series, and we've already talked about scriptural confirmation. His word is the standard. It's the plumb line by which our lives are governed. Your word is a lamp to my feet, a light into my path. The Bible literally says in Isaiah chapter 8, and I believe it's uh, about verse 12, it might be verse 20, forgive me, I know it's Isaiah 8, but it says, to the law and to the testimony, if they speak not according to this word, it's because there's no light in them. So this morning, because you probably feel better with not me holding up an iPad, but you probably feel better if I say, if I do it like this, if they don't speak according to what is in here, then it's because there's no light in them. Look, it has even gold on the edges, so you can see that it's a holy Bible. I'm being a little bit sarcastic, okay? Uh, Whether I get it this way, or whether I roll it out on a scroll, or whether I get it through a smart device, it's still the word of God. Can I have an amen? Amen. All right. Uh, so we went from an objective realization of the the Bible, which is the foundation, the word of God. But now let me just say this. I I, I believe that there's some other things that God gives. It's not just the one guiding light of the scripture, but I believe that God not only gives us objective truth, but he gives us a subjective unction. We talked about it last week, inner conviction. First John two 20, you have an unction of the Holy one and you know all things, Yeah. Well, I don't know. I don't know which way I'm going to go. Well, the thing is, is that inside you is the unction of Christ. And what you need to know is already inside you. You have an unction of the Holy One. You know all things. You just don't know that you know all things yet. Inside Christ are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Colossians 2, 3. If treasures of wisdom and knowledge are in Christ and Christ is in you, then that means every decision you need to make is is here by the word of God to give you wisdom and knowledge and discernment and understanding on how to make right decisions that God will bless. Are you following me? All right. So we went from objective scripture to subjective inner conviction. I I, I have a gut feeling. I have an impression. I, I have a hunch. And that's biblical. Because the Bible says that the spirit himself bears witness with our spirit. We call it an inward witness, an inner conviction. You can have an assurance of salvation because the capital S, Holy Spirit, witnesses to your little s, human spirit, to let you know that God is your father and you are his child. That gives you confidence that you know that you have been born again. It is called the inward witness. Romans 8, 16. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. If children, then heirs and joint heirs with Jesus Christ. If so, be that we suffer with him. And the the apostle Paul went on to say, for I reckon. You didn't know that he was a southerner. (laughs) Paul said, for I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worth to be compared to the glory which is about to be revealed in us. All this stuff I'm going through, it's not worth even talking about it because it's not... It's not anywhere near the glory of what God wants to do. So today we move again to another one that's a little bit subjective, but it's not me personally. It's somebody coming to me and saying, thus says the Lord. Before I even jump on this other passage of scripture, I just want to tell you that I am unashamedly and unapologetically a charismatic. I believe in the present day move and work of the Holy Spirit. I believe that God is speaking to you right now The issue is whether or not the equipment you have in you, the two-way radio that's in you, maybe a cell tower, maybe it's Wi-Fi. Let's put it in some terms that we can speak in. Uh, You have the equipment when you got born again. And when you were born again, it was turned on and should be tuned in. God is speaking to each of us all the time. There are multitudes of signals that are going through this room. shortwave, Wi-Fi, AM, FM, XM radio signals, cell signals, all kinds of signals going through this room. The reason we're not screaming, holding our ears, because the millions of different messages that are going through, some of you are texting, somebody else in the room right now, some of you are saying, take the the roast out of the oven because your your son went home and and you're you're sending a message. We're not picking up on it because our, our equipment is not turned on and tuned in to the signals that you're either sending or receiving. Are you staying with me this morning? God's talking to you. He's talking to us this week. He will lead us. He will give us an impression. He's given us his word. It's our choice whether or not we take the time to get up on a daily basis and hide his word in our hearts so that we might not sin against him. Psalm 119 verse 11. So I can make choices on how I'm looking at these guiding lights. The most important decisions I'm making, I need to have more of them lined up as possible. All right? Prophetic confirmation. Well, now, what do you mean prophetic? I don't think prophets are for today. Well, that's fine. Let me just say all from the outset, I'm not going to be preachy about this. I just want to tell you that I believe they are. I believe that Ephesians 4.11, the fivefold ministry, the hand ministry that God has given, and he gave some apostles, some prophets, some to be evangelists, pastors, and teachers, are still for today. I, I, I believe that, that I am not in the sense of Peter or Paul an apostle the way they were because I'm not writing scripture. But I was apostello I was sent by God here to plant this church in order to advance the kingdom of God. Now, I don't have anybody call me apostle. I don't play those games. I think that's just, and I, I just don't even trace the rabbit. I don't think anybody needs a title. I think they're functions. I think if you've got a function and you're operating in it, then your gift will make room for itself. Don't shout me down. I'm doing real good right now. I believe that there are prophets who see the word of the Lord. And this is the picture of the hand of God. Every, anytime you see in the Old Testament, it says the hand of the Lord shall accomplish this. This is the fulfillment of it in the New Testament. Because the hand is the only member that has the ability to touch all of the other parts of the whole body of Christ. This hand can bring correction. It can, bring, it can cleanse. It can adjust. It can get things in place. I woke up this morning and there was disorder. Okay needed to brush my teeth, needed to shower and shave and bring a little bit of order out of disorder. It's this ministering element right here called these hands that bring the ability to do that. And, and God gives us apostles and prophets and evangelists and pastors and teachers. The hand has the ability to touch every one of the other parts of the body. No other member on your body can do that. Now, maybe if you're part of Cirque du Soleil, you can, I don't know. But this, for all of us regular folks, it's the hand that has the ability to minister to the whole body. And Nothing like this hand. I, I get up in the middle of the night to go to the restroom, and I wrap my little toe around the bedpost and, and, and labor to not lose my sanctification. Jesus, 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 Jesus. And everything in me goes to minister to that little toe, and the whole body is going, pay some attention to that little toe. But the ministering elements, the five-fold ministry is what's taking care of that little toe. It's what clipped the nail that turned black. Maybe I'm getting too plain here. Okay. But now when you look at the hand, the apostolic is like this ability that we have as humans called the pincer movement. I have the ability to pick something up because this is opposing. It's an opposing thumb. This Apostolic governmental feature on this ministering member of my body has the ability to touch these other ministers. That thumb is apostolic. It's governmental. I can minister when I need to. I can minister when I need to. Are you following me? The prophet is the one who looks and says, thus says the Lord, pointing with direction, pointing sometimes with correction. And pointing with the eyes of the Lord that are watching, and some of you go how are you going to do this you' better be careful with this next one, Pastor Michael. The evangelist is the longest one it 's the far reaching finger it goes farthest, it goes into the farthest corners of the earth to preach the gospel and proclaim. The pastoral is the one who bears the sign of the covenant that marries the bride of Christ as not just a hireling who's paid, but one who has a real ministry of a shepherd. He is married to, and he's taken care of, and he loves the church, and he's ministering to the church. And the teacher is some of what I'm doing this morning. It's the only one that is little enough to get right up in here and dig out the waxy traditions of men. So that you can hear the word of God. Are you following me? Is that just disgru- disgusting and gross? You, you all do it when you're by yourselves. So don't even look at me in that tone. Do you see the hand of the Lord? I believe that some churches tell you the first two are dead and the last three are still operating. They still recognize the evangelists, pastors, and teachers, don't have any more apostles or prophets. Some of them say all of them are gone. And those are usually pretty dead places that claim that. (laughs) I just want to tell you, I think that there are representations of every one of these fivefold gifts. Um, This element that I'm going to talk about today regarding prophetic confirmation needs to have a little bit of the rest of the story to it. I'm a quarter to 12. All right. That's first of all, it's not a good thing a speaker should do is point out what time it is. But I've I've got to mark myself here. Are, Are you with me? Let's, this is going to be good. Here we go. Let's get the rest of the story in Acts 21. When we'd come inside of Cyprus, leaving it on the left, we sailed to Syria and landed at Tyre, for there the ship was to unload its cargo. And having sought out the disciples, we stayed there for seven days. And through the Spirit, we've got some disciples, and it says, and through the Spirit, they were telling Paul not to go on to Jerusalem. Now Paul's determined to get to Jerusalem and everywhere he stops in the previous chapter we just read by the spirit, he sees that imprisonment and trouble and accusation and, and all kinds of things by the hands of the Jews in every city, he keeps getting this put up in front of him through the spirit. They were telling Paul not to go into Jerusalem. When our days there were ended, we departed and went on our journey and they all with wives and children accompanied us until we were outside the city. And kneeling down on the beach, we prayed and said farewell to one another and then went on board the ship and they returned home. So he stopped here and they said what? What did they say? Don't go. go." Okay, number seven, verse seven. When we had finished the voyage from Tyre, we arrived at Ptolemy and we greeted the brothers and stayed with them for one day. On the next day, we departed and came to Caesarea and we entered the house of Philip the Evangelist, who was one of the seven, and stayed with him. He had four unmarried daughters who prophesied. Mark that. Wait a minute. I thought women were not supposed to say anything in church. They're supposed to be silent. But these women prophesy. Verse 10. While we were staying for many days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. And coming to us, he took Paul's belt, bound his own feet and hands, and said, Thus says the Holy Spirit. Now, this is a a powerful, illustrated message. He takes Paul's belt off of him, Wraps it around in such a way that he binds himself, his hands and his legs, and he ties himself up in Paul's belt. And he says, says the Holy Spirit to you, Paul. This is how the Jews at Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. Verse 12. When we heard this, we and the people there urged him not to go up to Jerusalem. One more time. What are they saying? (laughs) Don't go. Okay. Then Paul answered, what are you doing? You're weeping and you're breaking my heart. For I am ready not only to be imprisoned, but even to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. And since he would not be persuaded, we ceased and said, let the will of the Lord be done. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading of his word. Who was wrong here? Was anybody wrong? Didn't Paul know from the beginning that he was going to encounter some problems if he went to Jerusalem? These people who were seeing by the light of prophetic confirmation, seeing something in the spirit, God opening their spiritual eyes so that they could see to some degree into the future for Paul, were warning him, but they were taking a message that they were seeing and then their interpretation of it and their application of it differed from what Paul's was. Paul knew that it was a dangerous day. It was the, the, the period of laying the foundation In the literal New Testament church, the Jews were after him. He was a marked man. He had been one who had persecuted Christians, gathered a pocket full of warrants, was headed on the Damascus Road to go kill some more Christians. And Jesus appeared to him and knocked him off of his donkey. I just translated the King James for some of you. He got knocked off of his donkey and he has an encounter with God that changes his life, transforms his life. Now he knows that if he heads to Jerusalem, he's going to have imprisonment. He's going to have a lot of problems. Every city he goes to, Spirit of God's moving in these churches, and there's a prophetic unction. There's a presence of the Holy Spirit, and they're seeing something. They're seeing a little picture. Gifts of the Holy Spirit are what we call in the in part realm. They're not complete because God is the only one who knows all things. God is omniscient. You're not omniscient. We are finite. He is infinite because God is, and we're not. We will never be God. There will never be a time, even in heaven in the eternity of eternities where we will know everything because if that were the case, we would be God. Eternity will be the continuous unfolding of the am- amazing grace and the goodness and the blessing of God. Ephesians 2 7 said, In the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. God's gonna blow your mind for eternity. And it just goes on and on and on and on because he's God and we're not. But he gives us these amazing gifts called the Holy Spirit, we have where we have the ability to tap into, just get a glimpse, just see a picture. And what's so important is, is that we learn to listen to godly counsel around us and let it first of all be governed by the plumb line of the scripture, because God will never tell you something by his Holy Spirit different than what he's already written in his word. Come on, don't patty cake. give God some praise. This is the way. This is the word. This does not change. It is is eternal. His word, Psalm 119.89 says, His word is forever settled in heaven. It is established. It is steadfast. It is unmovable. Hallelujah. But now, I have to learn how to pray and say, God, where are you leading me? Because the word is the primary guiding light. It's, It's better said, it would be like, the two harbor lights for a boat captain to bring a barge into a harbor. And the big light out there is the light called the lighthouse. That's the word. It, is, it stands apart from the others. It, it is the one by which everything else is governed and guided. The word is final. We should go to it first and we should give it final authority. I really hate it when I hear people say, well, you know, I've tried everything else. I guess I should pray and see what the word says. And I want to go, if you'd done that in the first place, you wouldn't have wasted the last 20 years. Are you with me? All right. So I just want to tell you right now that some of you have grown up in some churches that have told you that none of this stuff like these people are operating in is for today. And I just want to ask you, please show me in scripture where it says that it's not. I'm not being sarcastic. I don't want to offend anybody. And You know, what? I've read through the Bible every year since I was 18 years old, and I'm 51, some years reading through it two and three times. So I'm well up over 50 times read through in about every translation that is available. And I'm telling you, I've never been able to find a place yet that says, huh I, I, just, I just want to tell you right now that if somebody truly gets born again and the Spirit of Christ comes into them and they get baptized in water and they're walking with Jesus and, and God delivers them and sets them free from a, a lifestyle of habitual sin and, and, and addiction and all these kinds of behaviors and we get them into a place where they start to read to the New Testament, no one of those who has never grown up in church but comes in and gets saved And God's spirit begins to work and operate in their lives. They start praying prayers and God answers them in miracles. God starts moving mountains for them. You want to know why? Because they open the Word, and with fresh eyes of faith, they actually go, oh, wow, this is why Jesus died for me. If I will just have faith as a grain of mustard seed, I can speak to the mountain, and it'll be moved, and it'll be cast into the sea. And they start praying about things, and God shows up for them because they're not filled with doubt and unbelief and religious tradition that has ripped the very faith of God out from under them. You won't take a new... i just got to settle down this morning because it just... It just ticks me off when I see what religion has done to the hearts of people who've been born again, who've gotten the equipment, they have had it turned on and tuned in. And then somebody from the seminary or a cemetery or whatever (laughs) who's filled with the traditions of men wants to sit them down and wrangle the scripture around and tell you, well, that's not for today anymore. And I want to go, now wait just a minute. The whole book of Hebrews says that the new covenant is better than the old In the old one, he healed people. you telling me that I've got a new covenant now that's better, but God doesn't heal anymore? Ah, Something's wrong with that kind of thinking. You want to know why people aren't seeing it? It's because it's not being preached from the pulpit. Because when you preach salvation, people get saved. When you preach that Jesus died on the cross to redeem you from the curse, and you don't have to stay sick. And they start saying, God, I believe your word says, by your stripes I am healed. And they start trusting God for it. And guess what? No matter what the doctor says, the report comes back. And and the doctor says, I can't explain this. I don't have the understanding to know what happened. Because last week, the ultrasound showed there was cancer. This week shows that it's gone. I can't explain it. Well, let me tell you I can explain it. It's the almighty God that we put our trust in. Some churches you go to and they think the Trinity is the Father, the Son, and the Holy Bible. Some of you had not got that yet. I'll let it just, it bounced back at me. Dribble, dribble, dribble the basketball. Show it, through it again. Some churches you go to, they describe the Trinity almost as if it's Father, Son, and Holy Bible. They're scared to death of this mysterious indescribable person of the godhead we call the holy spirit most of you grew up in churches where you heard the hymns the first of which the verse was about the father the second was about the son the third one was about the holy spirit the fourth one was a summation verse writing great truth some of the greatest truth theologically is written in some of the old hymns of the church and you know as well as i do you've gone you've grown up in church where they sang the first second and the fourth and they skipped the one on the holy spirit because they were scared Oh, I'm preaching it real good. (laughs) I know exactly what I'm talking about. Let me just tell you, I'm unashamedly, I will tell you, I grew up a Pentecostal. I have I don't continue to embrace some of the stuff that was a part of my heritage, but I want to tell you the experience is real. I just want to tell you right now, I speak in tongues. I pray in the Holy Spirit. I pray, and yes, God will give me a word, an unction. I'll sense it. I'll feel it. It, it, And if it's God, it's never going to be contrary to what he's written right here. I, I have testimonies about how God has led me literally in picking up and moving out here, how he sold our house in North Carolina in the middle of a glut in the market where everything was just flooded I mean, I, I could I could take I could keep you till six o'clock tonight telling you stories that would have you on the end of your seat. I want to tell you one story about a prophetic confirmation that came in my life. And that was when we first came here to start this church. That year before I had, we'd gone to the beach, they would not let us get on a plane because Dawn was great with child. She was due to deliver in January, and we didn't come home Christmas that year to see our family because we couldn't get on a plane and didn't want to make the driving trip because you know any moment. Drew was coming like a Baptist rapture any minute. <laughs> so we went to the beach and we prayed and I fasted for a couple of days and the Spirit of the Lord spoke to me and said, this will be the year you step out. It was 1988. Long story short, a lot of amazing details left out. We were sitting here in West Memphis all just right after Thanksgiving. It was just around the 1st of December, 1988. Started the church with just me, Dawn, and Drew and my brother Dewey, my mom and dad cranked it up here. Got it going. No team, no, no, no great big offering every month from a dozen churches. We just, just showed up in town with a couple little tiny seeds in my hand, knowing that God had called me to the Delta, called me back home. The place that I said I would never come back to. And when I did it, God leaned over the balcony of heaven and laughed and said, yeah, I got something up my sleeve for you, buddy. For a few years, I tried saying, I will never plant a church in Hawaii. I will never plant a church in Hawaii. And for whatever reason, it's never worked. So my whole point is never say never because God hears you when you say never. And we came back here. We're here a few years and really wanted another baby. Drew was our only one. And I got visited by a prophet, a prophet of the Lord that's a friend of mine. He's been a friend of mine since I was 15. I've seen him bring the word of the Lord in a, in a gracious, lifting way in places in conferences and conventions that I've been in. stacy has been a friend of mine. Stacy Wood was his name. He came with his wife, visited us. I walked him through the facility here that we'd done our first redo on. He was standing right up there in Victory Kids in that little section. And he said, Michael, I'd just like to pray. No, nothing showy, nothing TV-like on some of the antics that you see on Christian television. I'll leave that alone. But he says, I just want to pray. And so I took his hand and his wife's hand. We were just the three of us circled up there and Victory Kids standing in that room. And he just began to pray in the spirit. And he started to prophesy. And he said, I see a generation of children that God's going to raise up in this place. He said that are not just going to be fine, upstanding citizens, but they're going to shake nations. God's going to raise up a generation of children in this place that'll be champions for the kingdom of God. And I started just to, nothing overboard, no chandeliers to swing from, just begin to just to cry and I just sensed the presence of God something very electric was just moving and washing over me and he said I don't just see God bringing children to you that are going to be world changers but as he said I see God bringing another child to you and to dawn and he said I see a little girl and she's going to be a singer he said and she's going to be a great source of joy and I my knees buckled And I just began to weep because I knew that my precious, amazing wife had picked some names and had had this name hidden in her heart before our first one was even born. And she just says, I believe God's going to give me an Abigail Elizabeth. And I I search all this stuff out because I'm just a, I'm a Bible geek, okay? I love this stuff. And I searched it out and the word Abigail, the name literally means source of joy. It's from Abba, Abigail. It's literally my father is joy. And Stacy had no idea whatsoever that we were praying for a girl, had no idea that Don had picked a name. And he starts to prophesy and he says, I just see the Lord raising up a young lady who's going to be mighty. And it's not just going to be her singing for your church, but she's going to shake nations with her voice. And I started to weep. I started to weep and he said and I see that she's going to be a great I just hear the words source of joy (laughs) and I just that's when I buckled right then at that point because I know that Abigail means source of joy Google it, check me out the prophet of God not knowing just in a few months we're in a state of expectation weren't getting that way prior God, can we have another one? We really like to have a little girl. A prophet of God visited here and he spoke the word of the Lord and within a few months we were expecting and I would lay my head on Dawn's expanding belly and I would sing. I would just sing to the daughter that I knew that God was gonna give me. I'm sorry, I don't know why I'm so emotional this morning, but I want to tell you, this is an experience, one among multitudes, that I know that God has spoken to me through prophets of God that are alive and walking the planet today, that it is undeniable, and it's something that I needed to hear, because in my secret place of my own heart, when I was going, God, I'm here pouring out my life in this place, and God, I I want a baby girl, and Lord, I just want a singer that'll give you worship. God, I ask you for that. And he dropped a guy from Nebraska who is a prophet of God who's preached in nations all over the world to stop by just to give me a hand delivered telegram from the throne of the Almighty to say that I'm going to give you a little girl and she's going to be a great source of joy. You know what? I'm not mean. I don't have time to argue with you about your stupid theology that tells you that God doesn't do that anymore because I'm a man with an experience, and a man with an experience that is based in the Word of God is never at the mercy of somebody who only has an argument. You serve God in all of the powerlessness that you want to. And if that will get you there, then praise God. Have at it. But I'm telling you, I believe that God is so great and so good that if we will put our faith and our trust in him, that he will speak to us. He will give us confirmation from his very throne of grace. Somebody in this room this morning And I'm speaking to you by the word of the Lord right now Somebody needs to hear that And God is busy sending signals You've got the equipment on the inside of you And it's even turned on But maybe it's possibly not tuned in Get your head in the book Begin to pray and seek the Lord And say God I want whatever you have for me This is to somebody sitting in this room I don't know whose it's for You grab a hold of it in faith Was Paul wrong? No. Was Agabus wrong? No. They both saw the same thing, but they were applying it differently. This is why we need the lights. This is why we need guidance. Can two people see the same thing but come away with different stories? Oh, you betcha. Just let a couple of cars collide out here on the service road, and five people will tell you five different stories. And bless the state trooper's heart who has to take all those different details down. And go before a judge who has to judge the facts, who has to weigh the words. That's important. I'm setting you up for a point I'm taking you to. Guidance by prophecy, Greek word prophetuo. I'm I'm five after, but I've got a few minutes. Can you hang with me this morning? Okay. I really feel like I'm helping somebody. Prophetuo is the Greek word which means to proclaim, it's a declaration that sometimes it's an indication of the future. Old Testament prophets were 90% foretelling, 10% forth-telling, proclamation. Prediction is the fourth telling Proclamation is the fourth telling F-O-R-T-H. Flip that ratio over because what we see in the New Testament, it's about 10% foretelling, prediction, and about 90% forth-telling, prophecy. If you can receive it this morning, that was the Holy Spirit speaking through me just a second ago when I said, this is for you. Take it, grab a hold of it by faith. Prophecy. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verses 1 through 3, pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. Now, If you grew up in an evangelical church, you are very keenly aware of 1 Corinthians 13. It's the love passage. There abides these three, faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is, King James says, charity, faith, hope, and charity. Agapeo is the Greek word, agape, the kind of love that is unconditional. This is the greatest. These three abide, but this is the greatest love, okay? Okay. Now, if you grew up in a Pentecostal church, the way I did, if the emphasis was on 1 Corinthians 12, and that was all about the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Three knowing, three speaking, three doing. All in part, but a gift, charismata. Charis meaning grace, mata meaning a piece of it. I'm a charismatic because I believe God has given us grace gifts that are still for today. Mata is like the idea when you sit down at Granny's table on Sunday and she cuts the pecan pie into eight mata. And she gives you a mata. It is charis. It is by grace that she's, she loves you and she charismatics you. She gives you a piece of the pie. Every one of us in the room has a gift. Now, you may not be operating in it, but if you have the Holy Spirit living in you as a believer, there are gifts in you that very well may not be activated, but you have those gifts on the inside of you. That's what the Word says. 1 Corinthians 12, he gives to each man severally as he wills. According to the will of God, everybody in this room has at least two. Several has, means there's got to be at least two. They're gifts that are in you. Somebody in this room has the gift of the word of prophecy. Three knowing, okay, discerning of spirits, word of knowledge, word of wisdom. Three speaking, tongues, interpretation of tongues, prophecy. Three doing, faith. Gifts of healings, plural, and workings of miracles. I'm going to tell you, I've seen God do outrageous things. I I preached in Indonesia. The great stadium was opened up after we had, along with two other world-class ministers, had been teaching local five-fold ministries. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers, worship leaders, children's pastors, youth pastors, Trained them for three days, opened it up to the grand, uh, the big stadium in Jakarta, 100,000 people every night. I saw the Lord open some blind eyes. A little girl who was five years old walked across the stage, and I was the one. Now, I'm not saying I did it, I didn't do it, Jesus Christ did it, but I'm telling you, they brought, and there's a, we're literally being thronged with people. And I laid hands on that little girl, and her mother walked up there weeping. Nobody threw any coat. Nobody, I just, I better quit need to quit. It was just a, just a little pray, prayer over someone, and you know what? The lady came to the platform, and the, the guy who was leading the service held up the number of fingers, and the little girl matched it on the other side. I mean, they verified that she was seeing. She was blind. I, I just That's one testimony that I know that I know that I know. At, you know, you, you can't be argued with. To tell me all day long God doesn't do it. And I'll just go, well, I'm sorry. I know better. 1 Corinthians 12, is all about the gifts. 1 Corinthians 13 is about love. In some churches, it's all about 13. And let me tell you, when, what you preach is what you get. And it'll be people who love each other. But sometimes it's just not a lot of power. Sometimes, how I many of you know, it's not just loving and feel good. Sometimes you need somebody who can pray more than the wings off a of gnat. But sometimes in the Pentecostal church, because they just sort of assumed love and it's always the gifts and it was always about having an experience, man, I'm gonna tell you, there was a lot of power going on, but sometimes those folks were just mean. Now, if you, went, you didn't grow up in one like I did, you don't know what I'm talking about. But just take my word for it. I don't want to be a church here at Victory that looks at one over the other. I think we can have both. I think we can have the fruit of the Spirit, which is the character of Christ. I think we can have the gifts of the Holy Spirit, which is the power of Christ. And let me just say this. My gift may get your attention, but it will be my character that will keep it. That's the best thing I've said all day long right there. My gift may may draw you in, the gift that the Spirit of God has put in me, but whether or not... My granddad was a deacon in the Church of God, Pentecostal, and he said, I don't care how loud you shout, or how high you jump on Sunday night. I want to see how straight you walk on Monday morning. That's character. So it's not one or the other. And in some places, it's, it's, it's all about this, and we exclude that. And you know, Jesus said to the woman at the well in John 4, he said that the Father seeks those that are true worshipers who will worship him in spirit and in truth. And some churches are all about spirit, baptism Holy Spirit, about the experience. Other churches, it's not about an experience as, as much as it is you can hear the notebooks clicking because they're, they're taking notes and it's all very cerebral and it's all about Father, Son, and Holy Bible. And I just, I just want to say that I don't want to have either one to the exclusion of the other. I believe we can have spirit and truth, saints. Are you with me? Because if it's all spirit, you blow up. If it's all truth, you dry up. Ugh. But if it's spirit and truth, you grow up. I'm going to give that to you one more time. If it's all spirit, you blow up. If it's all truth, you dry up. But if it's spirit and truth, you grow up. And we can literally become an expression of Christ in the earth. All right. Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men but to God. For no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the spirit. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to the people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. i got to put this in turbo. King James says three things. It says edification, exhortation, comfort. You have it in your notes there? You see that? Look to the far right. NIV says for their strengthening, for their encouraging, for their comforting. Any kind of prophetic confirmation that comes in this congregation from a fellow sheep... A believer along with you ought to edify you, exhort you, comfort you. It ought to strengthen you. It ought to encourage you. It ought to comfort you. I'm going to give you the definition of these Greek words. We're sitting in an edifice this morning. This is a building. So to edify is to build up. Everybody say to build up. Write this in your blank right here. To build up. Exhort is to stir up. I'm exhorting you this morning to trust God for things that maybe you've never trusted him before. Maybe you've never thought that you could sense the presence of the Lord to lead you. Or maybe hear the voice of God. Not audibly, but down here in the still small voice of your spirit. And finally, to comfort is to cheer up. Everybody say to cheer up. Okay, so one more time. edifies to build up. Exhort is to stir up. Comfort is to cheer up. There's one word that all those definitions share in common. What is it? Up. So when you're in a service, you need to leave up. After a word has been given, says the Lord to you, thus says the Holy Spirit. Okay? It's going to either build you up, stir you up, or cheer you up. Now, if someone is standing in the office of a prophet, then we can begin to deal with different kinds of prophecy. But anyone in our services, this is, these, this is your governing. These are your guardrails right here. It's going to build up the whole body. It's going to stir up the whole body. It's going to cheer up the whole body. That's what prophecy's for. Verse six twenty-six, the Bible says the purpose is for strengthening or for upbuilding. What then, brothers, when you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation? Let all things be done for building up. Everybody say, build up. Okay? If any speak in a tongue, let there be only two, or at most three, and each in turn, and let someone interpret. But if there's no one to interpret, let each of them keep silent in church and speak to himself and to God. Let two or three prophets speak. Let the others weigh what is said. If a revelation is made to another sitting there, let the first be silent. For you can all prophesy one by one so that all may learn and all be encouraged and the spirits of prophets are subject to prophets. In other words, you've got some control over this thing. You don't have to say, oh, well, I just I had to do it. I just couldn't help myself. No, you can learn to govern it. You can learn to flow with what God's doing in the rest of the service. Are you hearing me out there? I'm almost finished. Or was it... From you that the word of God came. No, no, no. I skipped a page. I need to get this passage. Verse 33. For God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. You've heard that before, haven't you? As in all churches of the saints, the women should keep silent in the churches, for they're not permitted to speak, but should be in submission, as the law also says. If there's anything they desire to learn, let them ask their husbands at home, for it's shameful for a woman to speak in church. Now, just let me help you here. Because folks, take this one scripture and muzzle every woman in the place and think she doesn't have any right or any ability whatsoever to say anything, period, in the presence of men. But now, do you not remember the passage that I just read to you about Philip who had four daughters who prophesied? Do you not believe that First Corinthians 14 is connected to 13th chapter, that's connected to the 12th, that's connected to the 11th? Paul said in First Corinthians 11, verse 5, that any woman who prays or prophesies should do so with her head covered. But now wait a minute. Have you ever, can, can you prophesy or pray without speaking? Y'all, this is common sense. This is an IQ test. Help me now. Come on. If Paul says they can speak, but they need to have their head covered in 1 Corinthians 11, let's don't run over here to 14 and pull this one little verse out of context Without keeping it connected to the three chapters that are prior to it. And Paul says, okay, if a woman is going to prophesy or pray in church, make sure she has her head covered. This is not about a sweet, pretty little crocheted doily on the back of your head, as much as it is about being covered and in submission to a husband who's walking with God, or about women in the church who have ministry gifts in their lives, but they're submitted to the lead pastor, the lead man, the set man, the elders that are in the church. What I'm telling you is, this particular issue was a cultural one where men sat on one side, women sat on another side of the church, and they're coming in, and women are going, Hey, Leroy, I ain't never heard that. What's he saying? And so Paul visits Corinthian church, and he basically says, Okay, we got to settle some of this stuff down. And let me just say this to you right now I'd rather there be a little bit of wildfire here that we have to pull back and rein in than every Sunday try to raise the dead. I would rather people be eager because the Bible says, earnestly desire the best gifts. He says, be eager to prophesy. And too many times we've got people in places that basically you have just cut off half of the population of the church that may be gifted with wisdom, that may, they're sitting there with gifts that aren't being used because of their gender. Now, let me just, I just want to say this. I don't want to offend anybody. Right now, because I realize there are already stuff churning, and I'm creating more questions, and that's okay. Because if I can drive you to the Word, then I've done what I've set out to do. Prove it. If anything you believe is really truth, it can stand the scrutiny of some questions. Let's not be defensive. Let's learn to sit down with unbelievers and with other Christians who might disagree with us. And let me just say this, guys. Is this really an essential? Does it make a difference in your salvation if a woman talks or not? No, it doesn't. It's not an essential. We're not going to draw a line over this and fight and split a church over whether women speak or not. I just want to tell you right now, I believe a woman can do anything in the church the man can do except for rule. I believe she can preach. I believe she can prophesy. I believe she can pray. Just have her head covered. Why do I let Haley Vest, children's pastor, get up on this platform and preach to this congregation? Because she's standing up here under my authority, having her head covered, submitted to the leadership of this house. Do you hear what I just showed you right there from the Bible? This is not about women screaming across the crowd, going to ask your husbands when you get home. And we take that whole thing out of context and disable the gifts of God inside women who are gifted by God. And I just want to say this to you right now. I'm going to say this and move on because I'm chasing a rabbit and I'm going to kill it, skin it, and cook it before I get out of here. Hear me. If if you're sitting in this room and you really don't believe that Beth Moore and Joyce Meyer and Kay Arthur and Priscilla Shire and Ann Lotz-Graham, Ann Graham Lotz, Billy's daughter, and any number of other women who have amazing gifts of God to preach the word, and you are too proud, my brother, to think that God might use a female to speak something into your life, then you're just stupid. (laughs) Now, you know what? Maybe your church doesn't do that. And you know what? I would never get up and make an issue about that at your church. I'm just telling you this is, how, this is how we eat at the table at victory. Okay? Other folks down the street might do something a little different. But I'm showing you from the word. Would God contradict himself? Why would Paul write and say it's okay for women to prophesy, prophetuo, preach, proclaim, give direction from the word of the Lord. If a woman can prophesy or pray with her head covered, she's not doing it silently, boys. It's about submission. I would rather hear a woman of God who knows the word of the Lord, who's got the spirit of God working in her life, than to just basically say, no, 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 she can't do anything, but we're going to let this guy get up because he's a man. And he's twice dead, plucked up by the roots, not even walking with Jesus. We got women sitting there that know Jesus, prayed more all week long than that guy's prayed all year long. I I got to quit because I'm going to make somebody mad. Are y'all hearing me this morning? Or was it from you, or from, from you that the word of God came? Or are you the only ones that is reached? If anyone thinks he is a prophet or spiritual, he should acknowledge that the things I'm writing to you are a command of the Lord. If anyone does not recognize this, he is not recognized. So my brothers, earnestly desire to prophesy and do not forbid speaking in tongues, but all things should be done decently and in an order. Now that verse 40, that's the one right there you hear. You go to your little Baptist church around here and, and you, 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 just, you just try to do a little praise with your hands half mast, half staff. The flag's only halfway up the pole and you get a, you get a hairy eyeball look at you. Well, what are you doing? We don't do that around here. We, we believe you ought to do everything decently in order. And I just want to laugh out loud because I want to go, if you look at that verse right there, let everything be done decently in order, that means everything needs to be let done Y'all still alive this morning? Yeah. If everything is going to be done decently in order, that's code among some churches for it. We don't do that around here. But if we're going to obey the word, let everything be done decently in order. It's got to be done so it can be done decently in order. That means we don't forbid speaking in tongues. We don't despise prophecies. Are you hearing me? The Bible says in verse 26, one prophesies, let another one judge it. This is where we weigh the words. And I know I'm over this morning, but it's so important. Deuteronomy 17, 6 says, Out of the mouth of two or three witnesses, let every word be established. Again, it appears in 2 Corinthians 13:1, Out of the mouth of two or three witnesses, let every word be established. Somebody comes to you with a word from the Lord and says, Kim, the Holy Spirit speaks to you. First of all, I would say if you don't know them, you need to go grab an elder. You need to grab a shepherd in the house who knows Jesus, who knows the Spirit of the Lord, and can judge that and say, yes, that's good, that's safe, it's according to the Word. Go by what you sense in your own heart, too. Test the spirits. Listen in my last verse, and I'm closing. The Bible says in First Thessalonians 5, verse 16 through 22, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. Did you get anything out of this this morning? I just believe that God wants to do some powerful things in our midst. And I'm not advocating something that's going to go crazy. There are no chandeliers in here that we swing from. We don't have catchers and we don't push people down, but I promise you, if somebody comes and they're sick, I really really do believe that James 5 says, let them call for the elders of the church and they'll anoint with oil and lay hands on the sick and the prayer of faith shall raise them up. That's what the Bible says. I'm just, I am just that believing that if the Bible says it, I don't dismiss all of it. I'm a very patriotic person. I I teach history. I love Thomas Jefferson, but Jefferson did something that I don't know if you know. He was not a Christian. He was a deist. He was a deist. He, he, he developed his own New Testament where he took an exacto knife and cut out every demonstration of anything that was supernatural. Everything to him was all about a natural explanation because he was a product of the enlightenment. And in this day and time, folks, when everything we do is living according to a natural worldview in a materialistic universe and we totally dismiss the supernatural or the mystery, God's ability to be able to give you a hunch, give you a gut feeling, give you an inward witness or an impression is the same God who can speak through a prophet of the Lord and give you a word who doesn't even know you, doesn't even know your plans. It's happened to me too many times. It's been confirmed over and over and over. Walking property looking for our 30 acres is paid for on airport road. I knew that I knew that I knew when I took my shoes off and I walked that perimeter of all that property in my bare feet because I was standing on Joshua 1 where God gave Joshua the promise. And he said, everywhere where the soles of your feet touch, I'm going to cause it to be yours. And I said, God, I'm standing on this because I had walked the property and I'd heard the Lord say from the book of Revelation, I've set before you an open door. I knew that was supposed to be our property. I heard it down here. I brought it back to our elders. They confirmed it. Brought it to the congregation. They blessed it. God blessed us. It's paid for because we heard a word from the Lord. Didn't have to sell any hot dogs. Didn't have to tell anybody, oh, we're going under if you don't give. Nobody ever got pressured for an offering. Never has been one day that we've ever done anything we've done here at Victory. Because where God guides, God provides. Bow your heads with me, please, for a word of prayer. Holy Spirit, help me today. My desire is to merely stir up some faith in the hearts of your people to know that you're a supernatural God. You're an amazing God. Lord, who I believe reaches in amazing ways to guide us and speak words into every heart so that we make decisions that are blessed by you, that we can test and know what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God for our lives. There are people in this room this morning that are struggling. Jesus, take all of this teaching about prophecy and a confirmation and everything that we've been trying to bring some understanding today in some areas that, that people are not clear on. And Lord, in the middle of all of that stuff, I just pray that the word that you've given to each of these individually, it will be like a hot coal from your altar. You'll make them to know that right now, that they each are graven upon the palm of your hand that you love them with an everlasting love Lord that you, you send out word to guide them in the critical decisions that some of the people in this room are making right now most important one you'll ever make is to do the very thing that Paul talked about and that's the gospel that's to repent and believe to repent toward God and to Put your faith in Jesus Christ. With every head bowed, every eye closed, I would just ask you right now have you made that decision? Have you crossed that line of faith and said, Jesus, be my Savior, come into my heart, save me? I'm a sinner. I can't do this by myself. I turn from my past and I turn to you. You're not going to embarrass anybody, You're not going to call anybody to the front. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed, nobody's looking around. If you would like to just be included in this prayer, just by showing your hand this morning, just as an act of faith. No one's looking around. Yes, I see that hand. Anyone else? Yes, another one on the back. I see your hand. Yes, anyone else? Father, in the name of Jesus, thank you that you are such an amazing, awesome God, that you loved us so much that you gave your son Jesus Christ to die for every one of us. Poured out your wrath upon him. Literally had him pay the penalty of the sins of the world so that we could walk in acceptance. He was forsaken. Jesus, I thank you right now that these who've raised their hands to say I'm crossing that line of faith, give me wisdom, give me guidance. Holy Spirit, come in and save me. Change my life, transform me. Just ask you, oh God, to do what no man can do. Holy Spirit, you're working and moving in some hearts right now. Jesus' name every head still bowed, talking to believers now. This has stirred you today to trust God. You've, some of you have been sensing an impression of the Spirit of the Lord. Maybe something's opened up in the Word you've never seen before. Maybe you've been praying and you've just felt an urge of the Spirit and you've not really known how to deal with it, how to trust it, because you've been in a church that's never taught you how to be led by the Spirit of God. This morning, I just believe God wants to activate. If you're a believer and the Holy Spirit's inside of you, he's brought with him the gifts and they just need to be activated. And you know what all that means right now is you just say, "Lord, I want everything you have for me. I want to learn how to be led by your spirit. I want to learn how to walk. I want to hear your voice in my spirit. I want you to hear I want the Bible says his sheep hear his voice. It's not a crazy thing to ask for. Some of you need some wisdom, some guidance. Believers I'm talking to right now, anybody in the room with you just showing your hand, you want to have prayer right now. There are several around the room going up. Yes, Father, thank you in the name of Jesus for these who love you. They're believers. They're walking with you. I ask in the name of Jesus just for a fresh filling of the Holy Spirit. Just hit the, the restart button on their computer, Lord. Boot them up again in the name of Jesus. Just clear out all the junk that slowed them down. Thank you, Lord, that you cleanse our hands and purify our hearts and give us, Lord, a clear channel to hear your voice. Let us open the word and let it just explode and come alive in us. Thank you that you've taken us to your banqueting table today and you've fed us. Lord, let the Holy Spirit just be made evident. Lead and guide these. Lord, some of them are going to dream a dream. Some of them are going to see a vision. Some of them are going to feel a prompting or a leading. and Some of them are going to see an overwhelming sense of the peace of God come over them just to lead them in a certain direction that is your will. Lord, thank you that every bit of that is governed by your scripture, by your holy word. Guide us, we pray in Jesus' name. And everybody said.